Are you getting a lot of heat from the fact that we're just relentlessly filing new podca- podcasts? Yep. Yeah. People just are like, what? What's going on? This I isn't know. what we understand this podcast to be. We've got our commitment. started our illicit affair, it's got really out of control. People were like, I thought this was a once every six weeks sort of commitment. How do you expect me to listen every week? No, no, yeah. Hey, can we first of all give a shout out to that person who dropped herself a copy of Frank Langella's book? Oh my God. Yes, we can. Was her name Claire? Uh, her name's Claire and she's awesome and she also managed to make an infuriatingly delicious snack out of salada biscuits, um, butterscotch caramel and chocolate. Now, Claire, I'm sorry to have to confess this, but I picked it up. Like, you dropped it at the ABC security desk and I swooped in before sales could get to it, opened it up, and I ate all of the stuff. <laughs> My sales didn't get one crumb. I'm so sorry. It's because we're editing, we're making a, um, a not sales and I sales and uh, no, me and a uh, group of <laughs> unrelated to this podcast people are making a documentary about Parliament House and we're at the last stages of editing it so we're just basically sitting in sh- dark rooms and crying and we just, as a group, ate all of that stuff. <laughs> just stress animals. And we kept just saying, should take it back to sales, right? Yes, yes, yes. Let me just have another leaky pit. <laughs> it sounds delicious because it, it sounds is. crunchy oh and God. salty but also sweet. Yeah. So as far as I can tell from the reverse engineering that I've been able to do... Um, what Claire's done is she started out with like full saladas without snapping them into smaller amusing shapes. And then she's um, done this really good sort of hard butterscotch caramel and she's spread it on both sides of the of the salada and then coated one of the sides with um, dark chocolate. Oh my god. That just sounds So you've got a bit of the salty so you've got a bit of salty from the salada. You've I got am the, just it's just filthy. It's really good. I am filthy <laughs> oh that you did not bring me it's or a Brenda. I know. I can't even. I can't even recognise myself. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's over. It's all been eaten. Um, I'll try and make some more. Hey, now I had quite a fun mm. week actually. Oh, yeah. Mm. I interviewed Ben Mendelsohn. Oh yeah. Are you still alive? He was great, and uh, again, just one of those things where it's so nice when you meet a celebrity and you walk away with your, you know. Um, admiration of them intact but even uh, I enjoyed my interview with him and there was a funny bit where I asked him about being menacing yeah, and, uh, right. yeah. you get a sense of because all every he's review terrifying. of him yeah every yeah. review of him says he's got this sense of danger and he said had this really interesting thing to say about it which is that um, he thinks growing up in Australia we learn or men learn how to be menacing through the use of body language in a way that yeah. they don't in countries where they rely more on violence or weapons. So he said in America, they've got guns. You don't need to have menacing body language because you've got a gun. Whereas in Australia, it's all in the way you look at somebody or whatever. Wow. So he was saying um, anyone who's grown up in sort of, you know, the outskirts of a capital city knows how to be menacing with their body language. So he was saying a bit of it is in the use of silence and he said it's also in the unbroken eye contact because you've got to keep sight of your quarry. <laughs> anyway, it was really fun getting him to explain it. Um, and then he gave me the silent treatment, which was just like, oh, my God, you really are terrifying. But even funnier than that. Because you were looking for political interviewing tactics. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, like, yeah. How to chill them to the bone. <laughs> but even funnier than that, Triple J asked him, did you see this clip? How good are you, was it? This is the Lion King yes. thing. I was going to bring it up, actually. Yeah. They gave him uh, the lyrics to the song, I, can't I Just wait. Can't, wait to, I just be can't king, wait to Be King. Which is a really sweet, it's sung by the little lion, and it's mm. a real sappy, you know, because I just can't wait to be and there it is. You've been edging around. Yeah. <laughs> Had to get that in. And then Ben does it like, oh, I just can't wait to be king. <laughs> it's chilling. It and is. I actually, like, I went and watched it because um, I saw it pop up and I knew that you'd interviewed him. So 
Oh my god! It 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 actually it made my hair stand on end. Yeah, it was and it was great. It's, it's only about ten, it's only about a bit long. It's definitely worth watching. It's so frightening, and it, it's like I remember Richard Glover once. Um, you know, people have got these sorts of voices. Mm. Richard Glover once got um, I think it was Richard Glover got um, Jack Thompson to come in and read the white pages just oh. to see if like because there was a wow. play that like Jack Thompson's voice is so mellifluous and and rich that you could actually read anything that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, he reads like a couple of entries out of the white pages and it may have been the and yellow pages. Like, it was definitely really? pages. And it was just like, that was really interesting. Wow, that is amazing. I've noticed as well when I've interviewed actors, I mean, I know this sort of seems so obvious, but the quality of their voice, like the range of the voice and the sort of... Um, Salon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have we told that story yes, before? Yes, we have done About Solange. that time that we were having dinner with Kate Blanchett. <laughs> and I was so... Um, it was so entranced by her role in The Maids where like so she was constantly there. saying to her on stage sister but Solange <laughs> anyway it's so like totally out of context I've started just saying to her Solange <laughs> she's looking at me like I'm a total idiot oh my god that was I was just so glad I wasn't anywhere near you on that table so hopefully she does <clears throat> yeah, not no. know that we are friends. I think I acquitted myself pretty well while we're on clangs um I also appeared as a guest on an episode of the channel 10 television program have you been paying attention oh, good you just squeezed that in before channel 10 went under didn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly that's all right oh they haven't paid me yet the bastards yes yeah, stick around um but I had to have one of those moments you'll be where... accepting a payment in MasterChef paraphernalia and like <laughs> <laughs> once used vanilla pods. <laughs> uh, well, Ideal that I would be happy to ink to misuse is, a. Uh, this is Waleed's post it notes that he used on the project. Would you yeah. care to accept payment in, in that? Um, no, I had one of those moments where you have to pretend like you're not a fan of the person because you don't want to seem like an yeah, idiot. Right. Um, it? It was well, a, anyone associated right, with Working yeah, Dog because yeah. I have just loved every single thing that you they've ever done. Useless around those people. And I loved, I mean, the late show just couldn't have loved it anymore and can quote entire sketches from it. Well, they must love that. <laughs> well, and also Frontline, of course. Yeah. And so the first person I see when I walk in is Rob Sitch, right, okay. um, who is, you know, very pleasant. But because I'm trying so hard to not just go, good evening, I'm Mike Moore, welcome to Frontline. I've just had to be, like, the opposite, which is I think that then I'm not fanny enough because I didn't even say to Rob Sitch, Rob, I just, I love you. I love, loved everything you've ever done. So I was just like, yeah, all right. So then we got to somehow talking oh, was about... It? Uh, yeah, hi. <laughs> Somehow talking about small talk and about before interviews, and he said, "Oh, it must be pretty excruciating." I said, "Oh, yeah, small talk. I just I find it so excruciating." And he went, "Oh God, like right now." And then he left. I was like, "Oh God, that Rob Rob Stitch thinks I just didn't want to speak to him, even though I was just the whole time muffling, saying, "Rob, love your work." Oh God, Rob Stitch, could you just call her, please? It was just, it was just <laughs> really great. And then Santo Chilaro walked in. I laughed. Hey, Sandra, I'm just trying to be cool. And so then I just, at the end, they were like, hey, do you want to stay for drinks? I was like, I just can't because I'm just so mortified by myself. So I just snuck away. Oh, my God. <laughs> How do you even hold down a job? Seriously. <laughs> anyway, it was, um, but nonetheless, they were all extremely lovely and it was right. very fun. Sounds like you really nailed that there. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, so yeah, um, not that I would kid myself that anyone from Working Dog would listen to this podcast, but if they did, I oh, love you all Any of so them who do would just be like... <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, what have you been doing? I've been doing, well, I mean, I've been sitting in a small room in the dark. But I've been, uh, as you know, uh, my bundle break is catching the bus or train in and out. And I've been listening to heaps of podcasts. Yeah. As a result. Um, I listened to an incredibly shattering episode of The Dollop. Like, you know, since you put me onto that podcast, I have been quietly working my way through it. And they put up a couple of days ago, um, well, maybe a week ago, recently anyway, um, a podcast discussing the corporate background of the company Uber. Yeah. Now, you know, like, you, know you sort of see headlines of, about Uber around the place and internationally and whatever. You wear various sort of campaigns against this company. But what they've done is pulled it all together and delivered this very funny and frankly terrifying uh, account wow. of this company's rise and rise. Um, and it sort of starts off with the founder of the company who sounds a, bit, a little dysfunctional and then goes through their relationships with various state legislatures in the United States and the various sort of foundational questions that they have um, confronted, like, you know, is a driver our employee, which they argue you know, no drivers are not their employees and therefore don't have any sort of industrial rights. Anyway, when, when taken as a whole, and this is what I found really uh, shocking about the podcast, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty scary story about um, the vaulting power of this um, extraordinary company mm. that's sort of come from nowhere. And I think that a lot of people are viewed as a kind of plucky little upstart in what has, in many locations around the world, become sort of like very entrenched taxi transport industry. Like, you right. know, Uber's disruptive power has come about partly because um, the taxi services in lots of big Western countries have been almost monopolistic. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly in Sydney here, you know, there's been um, a very entrenched power structure mm. governing and perpetuating, you know, control in taxi companies. Um, and so we tend to see an outsider like Uber as a sort of oh, amazing breath of fresh air. But the extent to which this company itself abuses the power that it has and manipulates its drivers and, oh, my gosh, it's quite wow. terrifying. I, 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 I had no idea about it either. Right. So, um, I mean, a friend of mine, Stephen... Um, listened to it and just removed the Uber app from because there's a lot of stuff about how Uber can keep track of you when right. you've got your app open and how it's kept track of and monitored and altered the experiences of Uber for, you know, um, lawmakers and regulators and so on. It's it's quite freaky. It, it's actually, wow. you know, that, that podcast is um, very funny and that's predominantly why I listen to it, but sometimes it's really useful because it pulls together all of this disparate stuff. Yeah. Now, I have no doubt that they've exaggerated it, right? So, I mean, they've, they've, they've gone for the most outland, outlandish instances of Uber drivers that have done this or that or whatever. But what is, I think, um, the most disturbing part of it is the central narrative of what the company is about and how it goes about its business, which mm. is actually at times a little bit like, oh, God. Wow. Not dissimilar from lots of other big companies. I, I hesitate. I don't. I, I need to point out. But because people think of the company as a very kind of cool, you know, disruptive um, agent, it's quite – it's it's confronting. It's really worth listening to. Oh, that sounds good. Mm. The um, – People sometimes say to me, as I'm sure they say to you, oh, how do you guys consume so much, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, actually, we often come back to the same things, like the dollop yeah. that we listen to a mm. lot. Because I was, I also listen to a podcast on the weekend, which we also come back to a lot, which is Richard Feidel's yeah. podcast, yeah. Conversations. Um, I listened to an episode about um, anesthesia. 
yeah. And uh, a woman has written a book. I'm so sorry, her name escapes me, but um, if you look at Richard's podcast, it'll be there. Um, it It's fascinating. It's about the history of anesthesia and also what actually happens to you when you... <gasps> okay, I want to know the answer to this question. It is... It's so interesting, and the thing that mostly sticks with me is they know really very little about... Okay, so that's what I find frightening. It is. It's really, really terrifying and fascinating. And also just the research they've been able to do. And, of course, like for most people, huge, huge bulk of people, you have a completely fine experience. But there are some people that have oh. weird experiences where... They can basically hear everything that's going on, but they can't move. Yeah. Um, it was just absolutely interesting. What's her name? Kate Cole Kate Adams. Kate Cole Adams is her name. She wrote a book called Anesthesia, The Gift of Oblivion and the Mystery of Consciousness. Anyways, so, I think, sorry, the, one of the other things that sticks with me is, so when you get these days um, an anesthetic, if I understand it correctly, and now brace for the barrage of anesthetists to join the tuba yeah, players yeah, in. Exactly. <laughs> get behind the tuba players, guys. <laughs> You get these days given two lots of drugs. One lot of drugs is basically muscle relaxants, which stops you from moving. Mm -hmm. So it just paralyzes yeah. your entire body. And then the other um, drug basically puts your mind, you know, out of consciousness. Oh, God. So better hope you don't get A and not B. Well, yeah. So basically what, it's, what they're attempting to do now, since they've had this particular regime, the number of fatalities has dropped right off. Because you think if you make your brain unconscious, mm. it, you can stop you know, stop mm. controlling Doing everything. everything else, yeah. yeah. So now um, what they basically do is put the brain to the minimum that it's required mm. of unconsciousness um, and the body goes into like a deep paralysis. But but if you get, you know, the balance of that wrong, well, well. so the brain's not far enough under. So sometimes there have been various studies done, as she talks about in this podcast, where people can hear what's going on. Um, and if you happen to be somebody who has that experience, but your body's paralysed, it can be very, very terrifying because you might think, oh, I've actually been paralysed mm. or they're going to start cutting me and it's going to hurt or you hear them say terrible things. And so, um, yeah, this is, she said now that um, anaesthetists are very aware of this stuff now and so they're careful about what's said in front of patients. But she, she made the point, which I think is a fair one, that if it were explained to people a bit better that if somehow you regain consciousness and you feel paralysed, don't worry, you haven't died, you haven't been paralysed, that is the different mm -hmm. uses of the drugs. It would maybe help people feel a bit less stressed because mm -hmm. they might understand the process. If you do wake up and hear us sawing into your cranium and you find you can't get up and run away, <sighs> please don't be alarmed. But it's incredible, isn't it? Because these days, like certain brain surgery, they want you awake. Right. Oh, God, that's what that Henry Marsh guy writes about, the neurosurgeon who I went to see at the Sydney Writers Festival. is awesome. Yeah, well, you, I then, think you enjoy this podcast. Depending on where you um, are operating in the brain, some of them, it's best to have the person patient, uh, patient conscious because then you can monitor changes in their personality or oh like manner that might um, be consistent with you having... Rogered something quite oh. seriously in there. Yeah, exactly. But look, I remember once having someone explain to me something about some variety of anaesthetic that's like, well, it's sort of like you don't remember what happens, you know. Um, it's it's like an amnesiac sort of thing. That, to me, is not good enough. Yeah. I don't want to experience it and then forget about it. Well, they it. talked a lot about that too and but, talked about is oh it God. just, do you, do you actually feel the pain but then you just don't remember it? And what does that mean, you know, and, and is it a traumatic? There was this one incredible anecdote where oh. this woman woke up from anaesthetic and she just, I think she'd been operated on for, for a tumour or something and she became convinced that she was going to die. Mm. And she went back to the surgeon. He said, you need to see a psychiatrist. She did that, blah, blah, blah. She went, ended up going back to the surgeon. She was just completely tormented by this idea she was going to die. Anyway, 
in seeing the surgeon, she then blurted out, um, I'm going to die because you didn't get rid of all the black stuff. And the surgeon went, oh my God. And it turned out that towards the end of the operation of removing her tumours, he had been talking about something to do with his bathroom at home and not being able to get the grout out of the tiles in the bathroom. And she had been partly conscious and heard him say, I can't get the black stuff out and took it to her brain, processed it to be in her own body. Because that doesn't sound great. Unshippable grout. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I can't get the black stuff out. Like, so some somewhere she wasn't consciously aware. And the blue loo, would you not? Know? <laughs> oh God. Anyway, it's very, very interesting. It made me really want to read the book. Okay, well that sounds fascinating. Um, I'm listening to one at the moment um, that is a This American Life podcast, and it's called. Um, it's number six hundred and eighteen. If you follow the This American Life feed, it's called um, Mr. Lie Detector. Yeah, and it's. Um, a long story, goes for about an hour, um, based on interviews with this guy who trained to be um, a um, lie detector. What are those? Um, like the, he, the guy who gives it. What is it. the technical word for? Um, oh, my God. Can't remember, but I know what you um, mean. Yeah. Uh, Polygraph. Polygraph. God, my brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm still coming out from the anaesthetic. Um, <laughs> anyway, it, it, I thought of you when I started listening to it because he sound, he's a bit John B. McLemore-ish. Like he's oh, a bit okay. S-Town-ish. Um, and anyway, he talks about being trained as a polygraph operator, which happened for him in the 1970s. He really loved it. And he did thousands of polygraph tests on people who were like um, charged with crimes or, you know, whatever. And then he worked out... Um, he says that it was a, a total crock and that you could actually use physical techniques to pass polygraph tests. One of the most astounding of which seems to be that you can control your heartbeat, heart rate. I find this hard to believe and I've not had an opportunity to run any clinical tests. <laughs> but apparently yeah. you can um, you can heighten <laughs> your heartbeat by... Uh, clenching your anal sphincter. Just you, as the uh, you can heighten your heart rate. Yeah, probably. yeah. So you can kind of. Oh, interesting. So if, if if you're trying to achieve a sort of a false medium, you can do a bit of anal clenching, right? And kind of elevate your heart rate so that on problem questions, when your heart rate elevates because you're lying, you can. Um, well, that would that would make sense because you know how flight or fight response. Yeah. Um, fight response involves clenching. Anal clenching. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There you go. Well, so it's so you're thinking your body thinks it's going to fight if you do yeah. that. So that would make sense. That right. Would, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I mentioned this because he says at one point, you gotta, you gotta have a, you gotta have a highly trained asshole to evade this highly trained asshole, which made me laugh quite a lot. <laughs> like, oh God. Quite a great line. But the great thing is, halfway through, they're like, here we go, it's a spoiler alert, so block your ears if you're planning on listening to it. Oh, don't really, it's not that much of it. But like, clench, after clench, a while, clench, clench, clench. clench. <laughs> yeah. Um, after a while, it becomes clear that this guy's being interviewed from a federal prison, so like, you know, matters get out of hand. Oh, like, God, that sounds he, great. he turns on the man, right? Like, and he decides to go from being a polygraph operator to touring around America, teaching people how to get around him like he's he's quite a he's quite a character his name is douglas williams anyway. oh that sounds awesome but he also said something really interesting about operating um working as a polygraph operator he says i learned the smell of human fear he says it's a really distinctive fear wow yeah and he says it's 
I've heard it, he says, I've heard it described as something between shit and spinach. And I couldn't disagree. Wow. I know, right? That's so interesting. That and imagine that in this crazy accent. Like, he's, he's quite, he's quite oh, powerful. Okay, I totally want to listen to that. What did you say in the number? 613? 618. 618. 618. Number 618 on the American. It's only just gone up. It's quite new. And it's called Mr. Lie Detector. Um, something I really enjoyed reading this week was in The New Yorker, written by Anthony Lane, who's my favourite film reviewer. Right. He's extremely yeah. funny. Um, and it's about, it's basically his recap of the entire British election campaign and the oh, election result. Have, have you read that? No, I haven't. I'll just read you a couple of pars. It's in the um, style of the King James Bible. Um, it, this is how it opens. And it came to pass in the land of Britain that the high priestess went unto the people and said, Behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, for on the eighth day of the sixth month there shall be a general election. And the people said, Not another one. <laughs> and then it just goes like that. It's very, very funny and You have clever. a lot of fun with Jeremy Corbyn in a sort of biblical sense, I imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, he, co- he comes, you know, bearded and on bike. <laughs> Monkish robe. Yeah, exactly. It's all of that sort of stuff. Oh, um, look, what can you do with that whole English British election? It's crazy. What about um, Theresa May? What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done? Oh, 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 oh well, I've, I've run through some fields of wheat. That oh, was so naughty. Oh, God. <laughs> that Why are these people allowed out? Oh, it was just Seriously, absolutely... Seriously, it's, like, it's, it's the ultimate demonstration of that that old political adage that you should never ask a question to which you do not already know the answer. And the whole calling of that election seems to be a very good vindication of that general principle. Um, What else you got? uh, Look, also, I just... You won't find this funny, oh, but gosh. I read it in a food court alone, and I was cry laughing. You went into a, fu- you went into a food court alone, right? <laughs> I happened to be in a food court alone, and then was eating and reading this at the same time. What did you order? It was some of those Vietnamese spring, you know, well, what are the, not spring rice rolls, paper rolls, rice paper rolls. Yeah, right. okay. um, it's a BuzzFeed thing about gags that will only appeal to musicians, and it's just oh, funny God. things like like I'll show you this one, but I don't think you'll laugh. But like, look at this music notation that looks like a shark. Anyway, there's a whole lot of um, sort of amusing, like, just again, like, sextets for clarinets, um, and then it's, you know, by Dick Hyman, just, like, really amusing stuff like this. Anyway, there's also... um, So you you say that you are alone in a food court, sniggering over this. (laughs) Oh, are you okay? (laughs) Also, like, pieces of music where they have, like... such great um, audio as well, (laughs) you, you showing me visual gags. On the screen of your iPhone, while I'm just like going, "Wow, you've arrived in a really weird place." Anyone listening to this will be just like, "Wow, I don't even get the sight gags." I'll read you this bit. I don't know if it's going to be funny, but maybe just the sound of me cry laughing might be hopefully amusing to somebody. So I've never seen this before. The ironic thing is that only tuba players will find this amusing, (laughs) and they're already boycotting it. It is about tuba players. Oh God! (laughs) It's just like a dog returning to its own vomit. Um, in music, right, mm-hmm. there's a note. Did you ever learn any musical instruments? Yes, I did. Oh, okay, I so you, piano. Oh, okay. Thank right. you, George Galanis. I'm sorry I failed you. So you know some basics, like F stands for forte, which is loud, P yeah. stands for piano, which is soft, yeah. right? And FF um, is fortissimo, which mm. is, you know, very loud, or there's FFF. Um, mm. I've never personally seen FFFF or PPPP. Mm. One, one of the gags here is there's like a 4P thing, and, and the person says, so 
do you just want us to not play? <laughs> how much how much quiet can we get? We'll just stop actually playing. Um, anyway, this is a piece of music that had in the tuba part F F F F. Oh. <laughs> so the person's related to the story. One day when, when I was in concert band in high school, we got a new piece handed out for the first time, and there was a strange. <laughs> strange little commotion back in the tuba section, whispering and pointing at something in the music and swatting at each other's hands, all like, don't call attention to it. And although they did attract the attention of basically everyone else in the band, they managed to avoid being noticed by the band director, who gave us a few minutes to look over our parts and then said, all right, let's run through it up to section A. And here we are, cheerfully, cheerfully playing along, sounding reasonably competent, but everyone, when they have attention to spare, is keeping an eye on the tuba players. They don't come in for the, for the first eight measures or so, and then when they do come in, what we see is this stifled giggling, really, deep, really deep breath, colossal foghorn noise. The entire band stops dead in the cacophonous way that a band stops when it hasn't actually been cued to stop. That was what I was cry laughing at because you just know what that sounds like, don't you? Just like, oh my god, what's going on here? The band director doesn't even say anything; he just looks straight back at the tubers and makes a helpless sort of why gesture in unison. The players defend themselves. There were four Fs. F F F F is not really a rational dynamic marking for any instrument, but for the love of all that is holy, why would you put that in a tuba part? <laughs> Anyway, it's full of stuff like that that just music nerds like me. I'm just really supportive of those tuba players, though. Imagine, like, <laughs> imagine knowing that it'd be like one of those things where you go to the ATM and the they, the, the bank just gives you thirty thousand dollars. You're just like, what? This can't be right. This can't be real. It's not gonna last. But geez, I'm gonna go out and buy myself some serious top grade. I don't know. Can you imagine what that would have sounded like when four tubers just all sort of ripped the loudest they possibly could? The four tubers of the boom apocalypse. <laughs> I bet if they all bust them. Oh, they're spotty bums. Mate, you can't leave it alone. Would you used to date a tuba player or something? Hello, all my tuba playing friends who are listening. Yeah, the, Love your work. the dwindling supply. It's like, you know, in Australia, there's all one more, there's one last tuba player just going, I reckon she's all right. And everyone else is going, shut up, she sucks. Are there any tuba parts that aren't basically oh, just... Lord. Wah, wah, oh. wah, wah. <laughs> I just in in today's escalated <laughs> security environment, I can't believe that you're just going, you're marching back in there um, and just honking these people's <laughs> horns one more time. Go forth and and and, and flourish. Tube, I'll think up another instrument sisters. to pick on soon. Um, now oh, setting me back downstairs at seven thirty. Oh, okay. Can well, I just on, share just, one more thing? Oh, yeah. Why not? I mean, you've only been talking solidly for the last twenty-five <laughs> minutes. Why don't you just have another go? Go on. What else have you been doing? Not about me. No, that's fair cop now that I look at my list. Fair cop. I'll let yeah. you. I'll let you go. Okay. Uh, just quickly. <laughs> All right, um, I uh, have been reading more Anne and Wright because I can't stop. And now I've read, read uh, now I've read, I'm becoming obviously much more literate <laughs> over the process. Now I've read her book, The Forgotten Waltz, mm -hmm. which is about... Forgotten um, Waltz? Waltz. Waltz. Oh, Waltz. As, as in, in the tuba waltz. Yes. Oh, God. Okay, yep. Yes. Um, and yet another wonderful novel by Anne Enright. I encourage everybody to read it. It's, um, it's about... Uh, Adultery. As good as The Green Road? Um, I still think The Green Road is my first love of Anne Enright oh, books. Okay. It's wonderful. But um, this is 
The interesting thing about The Forgotten Waltz is it's told from the perspective of this woman who's married to this guy and she um, has this passionate and for a while um, secret affair with um, her, a friend of her sister's, this guy um, who's already married and has a child. And the interesting thing about it, given... I mean, Anne Enright says that she wrote it in a spirit of, um, I guess, renouncing the shame of... Um, of Irish views on marriage and adultery and abortion and all that's all those sorts of you know moral issues, and she's just gone and written this um, novel that is about this woman transacting this affair, and she's not really that sorry about it. Mm, um, that sounds good. So it's sort of like adultery, but with with most of the guilt removed. This woman's in all sorts of trouble on other counts, but. She is not lashing herself that much about this affair, which is really interesting because a mm. lot of literary treatments of you know, adultery is all about like, oh, God, this yearning, mm. guilt and whatever, but she's not feeling that guilty about it, which is interesting. The other thing is that it's kind of folded in with an account of the um, the Irish financial, like the economic bust. So all of these people living in houses that are massively overvalued and are suddenly realising that they can't sell them. Um, anyway, it's a great book. That sounds awesome. Mm. Okay. Um, I have not quite finished The Green Road, although I'm very close to the end. Are you enjoying it? She's on The Green Road now. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really good. I just I just wish like that my reading life was not so fractured. Yeah. Um, in fact, I actually <clears throat> I wish I had it here because I dog-eared a page um, because there was a paragraph that was just such the most perfectly formed piece yeah. of writing that I meant to text it to you to just go... What about this? Yeah. Um, and I don't even want to attempt to paraphrase yeah. it now because it's just so good. So, yeah, it, that was excellent. I just wish I was on holidays reading that. Yeah, that'd um, be a great holiday book, actually, because you really just want to be with, you want to be alone with it all the yeah, time. Yeah, and just sort of immersed I in it. I running away from my children and, like, hiding in the toilet. Yeah. Like... You'd want to be immersed in that mm. if you could, and I unfortunately haven't been. Um, I was going to just quickly say that I have watched two and a half episodes of Big Little Lies. Oh, yes, I'm which loving I, that. Yeah, I, I, oh, I'm so you've finished. been watching it too? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I'm not finished. I'm about four apps in, I reckon. I'm really liking it too. Mm. I thought the book was okay, um, but they've done a good, a really good job of it, although it is, I guess, a bit of that um, sort of annoying affluent mums that get annoyed about affluent yeah. mum stuff. Yeah. But I think they've done it really well. Yeah, yeah. There, there's certainly a lot of... Um, bullshitting about, you know, who sits next to who in the primary school. Like, it's definitely about over-parenting over parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's sort of what I like about Leanne Moriarty is that she kind of writes books that are about things that consume a lot of attention in the lives of a certain class of people that don't often get written about. Yeah. Like, and, you know, you can validly make the criticism that it's all about, like, first world problems and stuff, and that is certainly true. But I also think that they are primarily about the concerns of women that often don't ever, like, they don't warrant serious literary treatment yeah. or really junk literary treatment because yeah. junk, literary tre junk literature is all about, like, you know, swooning adventure and romance and serious literature is all about sort of gripping, um, you know, high-minded problems. Yeah. And, and having a, 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 a panic attack because your kid's year one teacher isn't, you know, organising playdates the right way or whatever. It doesn't fit into either of those categories. Mm. So, like, that's sort of what I like about Leanne Moriarty, uh, Moriarty is that she does, she vocalises that 
group of people yeah. which um, some demographics sort of move through, you know. Yeah. Um, I think also, I'm not sure why they've made this <clears throat> choice, but and it's a while since I've read the book, but I think they've made it more affluent in the TV series than in the book. Well, it's in this sort of richy rich yeah. kind of white Californian town. Because two of the key women characters, the Reese Witherspoon one, which is Madeline, and Nova mm. Cole and one, which is Celeste, live in these unbelievable yeah, yeah. beachfront mansions. Um, yeah, it's definitely taken... <clears throat> up um, a notch but maybe what I think when I watch it is just Reese Witherspoon is an amazing actor I agree she's yeah. just bloody incredible and I think she is one of these actors who is a little bit cursed by her total all-american girl looks because you know she's so perky and so yeah. blonde and so groomed that I think you expect her to be in these cookie cutter roles and to in some extent she is but she's She's an extraordinary actor, I think. I agree. And that character, I think, in the hands of a lesser um, actor could be very shallow and unlikable. Yeah. But she has imbued the character with a sense of... She's sort of annoying, but she's got a bit of a heart of gold and you're sort of rooting for her mm. and she's got a certain vulnerability, um, which I would guess probably in the written version of it doesn't of the screenplay wouldn't necessarily be there. I think she's mm. bringing all of that to it. Um, and the bits I've seen with Nicole Kidman so far too, she's also good. Yeah, yeah. No, she's, um, she does a great job. And, and, I, and, and that story's unfolding more. Yeah, that's so. the scariest storyline, I think, in, yeah. the whole, in the whole show. No, yeah. I definitely will keep watching it. Okay, I better get downstairs. Oh, oh you're going to leave me right. Yeah, sorry to the tuba players. Um, Again. Sorry. And the, um, who were the other people you insulted this time? Tuba oh, players? Horns. No. Oh. <laughs> no, no, somebody else. I can't remember. Anethodists. Anethodists. Okay, bye. You're getting very sleepy. <laughs>